Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Brockport First Baptist. My name is Bridget Querns, and I will be your lay reader for today. To begin our service, I'd like to invite all who are able to please stand and greet those around you.
Thank you, Lucas. You may be seated, everyone. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. I'm Pastor Dan. It is a joy to be with you here at Brockport First Baptist. Um, if you're new here, just a heads up, at the ends of most, if not all, of the rows, there are cards. Most of them are yellow. Some are uh, red and green from Christmas. But those are cards if you want to get in touch with us, if you want some more information about our church. Fill those out, and then you can drop them in the offering plate when it goes around later in our service. And someone from the church, probably me, uh, will get in touch with you uh, later this week. Uh, we got Brockport Baptist Basics happening today after worship down in the basement. This is our class for anyone who uh, is looking to join the church, get baptized, or just wants to learn more about us. Uh, everyone is welcome. We're going to have childcare. We're going to have lunch. Hopefully not everyone comes because we've got lunch for about like 20. Um, but if you're, if you're really in the mood today to talk about baptism and what it means, um, come on down. Join us for that in the basement. It'll start around 11.15 or so. Also, if I seem to bolt and disappear after the worship service, it's because I'm down at basics. Um, the Super Bowl, not the, uh, the, the, what is it, football? The football version. Um, Super Bowl, as in collecting uh, cans of soup for the Brockport food shelf, is happening. Uh, you'll see on the stage out in the fellowship hall, we got a big box uh, to collect soup. We getting in yet, Martha? Do you know? There's some stuff coming in already. Awesome. Anytime between now and the big game, or really any time at all, bring in cans of soup, uh, put them in that box. We're going to donate it to the food shelf at the end of February. And then last but not least, uh, January is Stewardship Month. Pledge cards uh, for the next year, um, for those who support the church financially, are due today. But if you didn't get them in today, no worries. Bring them next week. You can just drop those in the offering plate or the joy boxes uh, right outside the sanctuary. And if you gave to the church at any point in the last year, we have a giving statement for you. They are at the Connection Center on your way out. So please, please, please grab your giving statements today. That's all I got in, uh, in terms of announcements. I will hand it back to Bridget for our call to worship. Please stand. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Full of honor and majesty is God's work, whose righteousness endures forever. God sent redemption to his people and has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is God's name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. God's praise endures forever. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love. Where my heart becomes free 
and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. And there's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare, you're a living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen all the sweetest of loves. Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Amen. We are going to go into our time of prayer together. Uh, elementary kids are dismissed for Children's Church upstairs. See you later, guys. Have a lot of fun. Uh, please have a parent, guardian, adult, cousin, something, uh, escort them to their room so that they can get there safely. 
We're going to open up for prayer requests. Um, we've got the mics here at the front of the sanctuary as well as the wireless um, that Jim will be passing around for anyone who needs it. Um, I want to start off with a praise, though, if I could. So we had family and friends bingo here at the church yesterday. I don't know if, I don't know, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I don't know if anyone got an official count. It was like 20 to 30 people. 30 people? We had 30 people here at the church, and it was mostly folks from, from the broader community who came out, uh, adults, kids, playing bingo together. I won a prize, which was an answer to prayer. Um, so it was, you know, I don't know, you ask and, and receive. No, that's not how it works. But anyway, um, it was an awesome event. I'm just praising God for that. Uh, but Ron, please. A prayer request from Dick Carter. His sister Joanne had a biopsy done on her throat, I guess and it came back benign, so that's a praise. And keep uh, Bud and Cindy Lage in your prayers as they continue to recover from COVID. Sorry, I wasn't gonna say anything yet, because you talk about it and it becomes real. But it's not gonna be real because I'm counting on all of you for prayers. Um, I had my lung screening test last, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And there's a new spot. It's eight millimeters. They don't know what it is. Um, now go back in April, April 11th. So from now until April 11th, I really need you guys on your knees praying for me. Absolutely. Um, they have confirmed emphysema. Um, there's a 10 centimeter cyst of air. I'm not worried about that because it's weird. Um, but the eight millimeters. We've had lung cancer in our family before, not with me, but with Dan, and he kicked his butt. And we're gonna. This, this is nothing, right? Right. Amen. So just please, please, please keep me in your prayers. Absolutely, Thank you. Peggy. Good morning. Good morning. Jimmy and I want to thank all of you for the wonderful support you've shown us as we go over this bump in the road. We've heard some, so many people that it has made our hearts grow, but I want to let you know we are good with this. We're calm. We have lots of reminder cards, and we're just going to make it work. So thank you. Thank you, Luann. I like prayers for my friend Barb. Um, she was my bridesmaid almost 50 years ago. And um, her partner, RJ, she is going through some heart issues. She's going to need a, I think a, a bypass and a, another stent put in. Um, it's an inherited heart condition that she has. And while she's in the middle of this, um, RJ is undergoing treatments for an aggressive form of lung cancer. And um, so he's, being taken weekly for radiation and chemo. Mm. We'll be praying for Barb and RJ. Pam? I'd like to ask prayers for Christy, who tomorrow had, she and David had over to, back to Pittsburgh for um, a couple repeat tests, and um, we are optimistic at this point that she is healthy enough and everything will go as planned, and she will finally be able to be listed. So these are the last couple tests that she's being repeated, and she's worked hard, and she's feeling better. So 
I think she's at a good place and um, just just prayers that it all goes well and she's listed. Absolutely. Julie. Good morning. So my mother's birthday is Tuesday. She'll be 93. Not that she kind of well, remembers that she'll be 93. She has to ask me. Um, she has moved out of assisted living. She's still in rehab. I'm trying to get her on to Medicaid. But if you'd like to send a card to her, send it to my home address, and I will make sure she gets it even if it comes after the fact. That's okay. Um, and I thank you for continued prayers. That's awesome. Thanks. Definitely. I want to um, just ask for continued prayers for Jordan. Um, he finally got a job that he loves, uh, which is a praise, but uh, it seems that every time he gets a job, he has a health setback. So he, um, the blood clot that uh, was in, is in his leg is back again. Uh, so just prayers that um, they can get the medication worked out again and get him on blood thinners. Um, uh, and also that they work out his insurance. Uh, he's trying to navigate the web of insurance. And um, so just prayers for that too. Thank you. So I have a couple prayer requests to share from community members at Northeastern Seminary. Um, the first one is Professor Marlena Graves and her family moved to Fairport last year from Ohio. And they just found out that their lease, they're leasing a house and they can't extend it. So they're just hoping for prayers for something to figure out that they can try to keep their kids, um, their two young daughters in school where they're currently settled um, to try to keep the upheaval to a minimum and stuff like that. It's Professor then, Graves, you yeah. said? Okay. And, um, and just prayers for um, one of my classmates, um, sorry, named Ida. Um, she's from Norway, and she shared on Monday some really personal health struggles she's been going through, and just prayers for like comfort and that things are, you know, um, just that she feels the presence of God in her and her husband. And Definitely, so, absolutely. Um, I'll share a couple that went on on the on the prayer chain this past week. Uh, continued prayers for Betty Bemis and for Gordon. Um, Betty has had an up-and-down week as she uh, deals with C. diff and a number of other uh, infections that have been plaguing her for a while now. Uh, I went in to see her on Thursday. She looked awesome. She is stronger now than the last time she was released from the hospital, like a month ago, which is great. Uh, but then Friday, she came down with another infection and her fever spiked up. And then they put her on antibiotics, and by yesterday, she was feeling better. So this has been her and Gordon's life uh, for a while now. Um, she's still got a long road to go, but there's definitely progress being made. We just want to keep uh, Betty and Gordon in our prayers. And then prayers for Betty Lamana as well. Uh, she moved to Evergreen Place on Friday, um, and the transition from living alone to uh, you know, an assisted living sort of situation can always be hard. Uh, so we want to be lifting up Betty Lamana in our prayers uh, as she adjusts to this, um, to this new chapter. And then he continued prayers as well for Hannah Roth. I don't think Hannah's here today, uh, but she's relatively new at our church. She's been around for a couple months, uh, and she shared a few weeks ago about a major surgery she has coming up on February 2nd. We just want to pray for uh, calm, for any anxiety and peace of mind, and that this, the uh, procedure goes well and a speedy recovery uh, for Hannah as well. Anything else we can be praying about? All right, we'll have a few moments of silence uh, so we can all pray on our own. Then I'll lead us in prayer together. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we thank you for the love and mercy, the compassion that you show us each and every day. Lord, we confess that January has felt like a long month. We feel the joy of Christmas beginning to subside, the hopes of the new year fading away, having long left behind the light that the wise men followed. But even still, God, we are reminded of your faithfulness. We look back and we can see that you have been with us through the ups and downs and that you are continuing to lead us forward each and every day. Help us to remember that every day is a new beginning with you. Every day brings a new set of challenges and opportunities as we navigate this life looking to draw closer to you. God, we thank you for always being with us, always coming alongside us, leading us forward, reminding us that your time is not our time. We praise you because you alone are the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. We lift up all the prayer requests and the praises that were shared today. We pray for all the friends and uh, families that came out for bingo yesterday, that you would bless them. We thank you for all the amazing volunteers that helped bring that event together. We lift up Betty and Gordon, Betty Lamana, Hannah. We pray for Joanne, Bud and Cindy, Peggy and Dan, Luann and Jim, Barb and RJ. We lift up Christy and David, Helen and Julie. We pray for Jordan and Ida, Professor Graves and their family, and for any needs that remain unspoken. Lord, give healing to all who are sick. Give peace to all who are suffering or in pain, and give your blessing to us all. We ask for these things in the powerful name of Jesus, for it was he who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As I mentioned at the start of the service, uh, January is stewardship month for us, and every week in January we've invited uh, a different member of our church to come and share a little bit um, just of their story and uh, their love for our church. And uh, for this week, we're welcoming Jolene Brugaletta. Come on up, Jolene. And the floor is yours, of course. Bear with me. Can you guys hear me okay? 
Uh, good morning, everyone. For anyone who may be new here or that I just haven't had the pleasure to meet, um, I'd like to take a quick moment to introduce myself. I'm Jolene, a mother, a wife, a lover of books and food, and most recently, a proud Christian. When Pastor Dan reached out to me last month and asked me to share my testimony with you, I was honestly shocked and quite anxious, which I still am. Um, I sat in those moments of doubt and anxiety with God, and I prayed for strength and guidance so that I could share my story with you. As most of you know, January is Stewardship Month, um, but before I get into why I give, I think it's important to know what led me to my relationship with God and how Brockport First Baptist helped facilitate that relationship. Uh, this church that I now call home was not my first encounter with Jesus. As a child, I spent a lot of my time in several churches in my hometown. And considering that there were more churches than there were grocery stores and gas stations combined, I'll leave that number up to the imagination. However, it never seemed to matter which church I attended, I always heard the same things being preached. Love your neighbor, do the work God wants you to do, spread his message. Then in the same breath, I would watch people turn around and spew hate towards people that didn't live up to their personal standards and then use God as their justification. So I decided that Christianity was not for me. I stopped going to church, I stopped having a relationship with God, and I lost faith. Fast forward to two years ago, my very young marriage already seemed to be falling apart. <laughs> In the first two years of our marriage, Vinny and I went through more than I could have ever imagined. Between conceiving a child, buying a house, becoming parents, and barely making ends meet, the stress that we were always under eventually made it so that we were at an impasse. We couldn't get along to save our lives and common ground was non-existent. Marriage counseling helped, but only so much. <laughs> then in our lowest moments, some friends invited us um, to a progressive and affirming church that they had found. I remember looking at Vinny and asking him if he would ever come to church with me. And to my surprise, he said yes. We had nothing left to lose but everything to gain. The first time we walked into Brockport First Baptist, we probably looked like deer in the headlights. And we were way overdressed. <laughs> um, Alicia greeted us that day and welcomed us with open arms. As we sat down for our first sermon, I was skeptical to say the least, but then I looked around at the eclectic group of people who gathered here for worship, and I felt hope. I got this overwhelming emotion of this is where I'm meant to be right now. And the sermon that was given that day felt like it was being given to us and us alone. When we left service that morning, we spent the next hour or so connecting on not only the sermon, but with each other. And in those moments of connection, we began to heal not only ourselves, but our marriage as well. So we decided to come back the next week. <sighs> so there's how we got here. <laughs> not long after we started attending on a regular basis, a need for volunteers in the nursery was voiced by our church leadership. I like kids, so I started helping. A few months later, I started helping out the kitchen team for the gathering table, and I joined our outreach team. This past April, I officially tied myself to our church and was baptized in front of this new family that I had chosen. A family who accepted us for the good, the bad, the ugly, 
a family full of true hearts who just want to spread the kindness, love, and acceptance that Jesus taught. A family who has helped restore my faith, not only within myself and my marriage, but in God. Whether providing a hot meal to people in the community or prom dresses to young girls in need or walking alongside our LGBTQ plus family members in the Pride Parade, this church and the people in it make me proud to be a Christian. The minds of these people, of the people in this church are just as open as their hearts and to me, that's what the love of God truly means. When people hear the word stewardship drive, and they automatically assume and associate it with a monetary value. But as a very wise pastor once said, sometimes giving the least of what you have makes the most impact and can draw you closer to God. And while I have neither time nor money, <laughs> I have chosen to give my time to this church in hopes that I can spread the love and selflessness of Jesus Christ with every person I meet. Every minute I spend volunteering my time to the community, through the efforts of our church, I can feel myself growing closer to God. When I am here and when I am spreading his messages, I am at peace with myself and I am thankful for the life that I have been afforded to live. I truly do not know where I would be today without this beautiful place of worship and this incredible congregation by my side. And my mission now is to spread the blessings that have been bestowed upon me to others. And I hope that you all join me in that mission with your own stewardship. Thank you. Now is the time in our service when we respond to God's grace with the giving of our tithes and offerings. In just a moment, the ushers will be passing the plates. If you brought a physical offering with you today, please drop it in those. If you prefer to give online, you can do so on our website. Let's pray to bless the offering. Gracious God, use our time, talents, and treasure for the building up of your work in this church and the, and the wider world for your glory. Amen.
Our reading today is Acts 2, 14 through 36. You can find this in the Pew Bibles on pages 885 to 86. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Bridget, for that reading. I want to start off with a poll today, uh, which is a little different, I know, but it'll be okay. Um, I'm going to ask you all a question, and I want you to answer honestly, all right? Um, this, this is a judgment-free zone. We good? We good with this? Okay. Put you on the spot right away. <clears throat> Here's a question. How many of us can honestly say that we tracked with everything that was just read? Crystal clear. Okay. Got one or two people. I, I actually love this honesty. This is great. This is great. Um, okay. There's more options. 
How many of us, you tracked with some of it, right? Like you could, you could maybe follow most of it, but there are definitely some parts where your mind wandered, you, you blacked out a little bit. Okay, all right, that's, that's most of us. This is good, this is good. Um, third option, how many of us, you listen to that reading and immediately after, it's just like, I have no idea what was just said, like no clue at all. It was in one ear, I couldn't follow, a few of us. Thank you for your honesty. This is awesome. Um, Hands down, if anyone's still got a hand up. Full disclosure, it took me three readings on this passage before I finally tracked with it. I had to read this one three times this week before it was like, okay, I get get what's going on here. I get what Peter is saying. Three times, and this is my job. Like, I I study (laughs) this stuff. The Bible's hard, you guys. It's really easy to get uh, frustrated and feel defeated when we crack open this book and aren't quite sure what it's saying. I I think a lot of times in church, most Sundays really, we read the Bible and then I just come up here and I start talking and like we don't pause to acknowledge how tricky this is. This is difficult. The Bible is not an easy book to read. It's super long for one. Like where do you start? It's old. Uh, The texts in our Bibles range anywhere from 2,000 to more than 3,000 years old. That's really old. We think Shakespeare is hard to read, and he was writing his stuff like 400 years ago. It's got nothing on the Bible. The Bible can be confusing, and it's okay to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that more often. I want to talk to you all about the Bible today and how we read the Bible. And I want to do that by looking at how these first Christians read the Bible. I want to talk about how Peter is reading the Bible in this speech he gives in Acts chapter 2. It's really more of a sermon. Peter is preaching in this passage, which makes this a sermon about a sermon. It's like Sermon Inception. Um, No one saw that movie? It's all right. If you didn't see that movie, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, but Peter, Peter gives this message on Pentecost. We talked about Pentecost last week. Um, it's this Jewish holiday, uh, but specifically in sort of the history of the church, Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came upon the first Christians. They, uh, they got little tongues of fire over their heads. They started speaking in other languages. They go out into the streets, and there's people gathered from all over the world who all of a sudden hear these Galilean peasants speaking in their native tongues. It was wild. Some of the people in the crowd are amazed by this. Uh, Many even became Christians, while the rest are like, ah, they're just drunk. Just a bunch of drunk people babbling, which is a good reminder that if you follow the Holy Spirit, some people might think you've been drinking. Um, But that's when Peter steps up, and he starts preaching. Acts 2, beginning in verse 14. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. I love it. That's his argument. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. They're not drunk. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. 
And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is preaching. He gets a little hellfire and brimstone there at the end, which is awesome. Um, Peter's preaching a sermon on uh, some verses from the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. Joel is uh, one of the prophetic books from the Old Testament. It's a pretty short book. It's also a super random book. We don't read Joel very often. Um, Joel was written at a time when the Jewish people were facing persecution. And the prophet Joel brings a message of hope to the people. He tells them that if they look to God, if they turn to God, if they trust God for deliverance, then God is going to rescue them. But more than that, God is going to send his spirit on them. The spirit of God will indwell them and purify them. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The spirit of God is going to come to cleanse these people and rescue them from their oppressors. We following the story so far? Okay. Here's the tricky part. All that stuff Joel was talking about, the the promised deliverance and that persecution that was going on in Joel's day, that happened about 400 years before the time of Peter. That promise of deliverance Joel was offering had already come true. That time of persecution had ended back in Joel's day. Which means that Joel is not making a prediction here about some distant future. Like, he's not saying someday there's going to be a guy named Jesus, and uh, he's going to die, but then he's going to come back from the dead, then he's going to float up into heaven, and then all his friends are going to be hanging out in a room, and tongues of fire are going to appear over their heads, and they're going to start speaking in their languages. That's not the message of Joel. There isn't like a one-for-one prediction fulfillment happening here. Joel said this thing, and look, it's finally come true. That's not what Peter is saying. It's not what he's doing here. What Peter's doing is he's using this poem about something in the past to say something new about what's happening in his present. He's remixing it. He's reinterpreting that. I can tell that's way too abstract, though, and I probably lost just about all of you, right? Yes, I like the nods. Very good. Honesty, this is awesome. This is not a proof text. Peter's not saying... Joel predicted a thing, and it finally happened. Boom, boom. Peter's saying something more like, remember what happened in the time of Joel? Remember that story from our past when God sent his spirit and delivered our ancestors? That same story is playing out today, only now we're part of it. We are now a part of the story. Does that kind of track a little bit better? Okay. Peter does the same thing uh, with the next couple of quotes. He quotes from Psalm 16, and he says that the words of the psalm are fulfilled in Jesus. I want to read Psalm 16 to you kind of in context just so you can see uh, what this looks like. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices My body also rests secure, for you did not give me up to Sheol. That's like Hades, the underworld, right? You did not let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I would submit to you again that this passage isn't actually predicting anything. It's not talking about the future. This is a poem about God's faithfulness. I keep the Lord always before me. Because of that, I rest secure. God is not going to lead me to destruction. In your presence, there is fullness and joy. You have shown me the path to life. The poet here, the psalmist, is praising God for God's faithfulness. They're not predicting anything. Peter is not using this as a proof text that proves something about Jesus. That wouldn't have made any sense. What he's doing is he's using this poem to say something new about Jesus. He's using these ancient words written hundreds of years before he was born to say something about his own day. Peter reads the Bible like he's actually part of the story. That's the shift here. That's the mind-blowing thing. Peter reads these words written centuries before he was born like they're actually talking about the things that are happening in Peter's day. He reads it like he's part of the story. Are we kind of following this at this point? Okay, good nods. Awesome. This is radically different from how most Christians read the Bible, you guys. We do not typically read the Bible like we're part of the story. Uh, we usually look to the Bible for answers. I'd say that's kind of the number one way the Bible gets used today. Um, when we're facing a challenge or if we need a word of encouragement, uh, we're facing some ethical dilemma or we're in like a theological argument and we need a verse to prove our point, that's when we turn to the Bible, or more likely we Google it, uh, and we find a proof text that we can use to hammer the other person, right? And to feel better. That's reading the Bible like an answer book. In our church, like here, we tend to analyze the Bible a lot, right? Which is totally my fault. I've got to own this one. Um, we dissect the Bible. We break it down. We talk about the context, what was going on back in the day. We handle the Bible in this church the way a kid in biology class handles a frog. Right? Like, like that's, that's how we tend to approach the Bible. It's a very intellectual church. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, you can, you can learn a lot about a frog by cutting it up, right? Like, like oh, look, if I move this tendon, the, the leg kicks. Sorry, sorry, was that too graphic? I'm sorry. I practiced that in front of a mirror. Um, no. <clears throat> but here's the thing. I don't think most kids in biology class are transformed by the frog. The frog doesn't challenge them. It doesn't speak to their hearts. It doesn't move them to change. There's no relationship there. If all we do is dissect the Bible, analyze it, tear it apart, try to pull answers from it, it is never going to transform us or speak to our hearts. These first Christians approached the Bible in a very different way. They saw the Bible as the story of God and God's people, a story that they were part of and participating in. A story they were living out. Think about how we talk about maybe the story of our country, or the story of our church, or the story of our families as a story that we're still in, that's still being written. That is how they read the Bible, as a story 
that was still being written. And I've got news for you guys. We're a part of that story too. The story of God and God's people is not over. We're still in it. So with the time we have today, <laughs> I want to try to do two things. And this is hilarious because this is not going to happen by 11 o'clock. First, <clears throat> I want to try to summarize briefly the story of the Bible <laughs> um, so that we have a handle of kind of the, the broad strokes. And then I want to talk about some ways, some really practical ways we can actually approach this, the Bible and read it as if we're part of the story. Does that sound like a plan? Okay, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's dive in. The Bible, in brief. <clears throat> I'm going to think about this. I'm a theater kid. I don't know if we have any other theater kids in here. I find Jolene awesome. Other theater kids, good. I find it helpful to look at the Bible as like a play with different acts. Okay, so this is kind of how I've organized this. And the Bible begins, as many stories do, in the beginning. Act one, creation. We meet a loving God who creates the world, who creates the universe out of love. God stitches together the cosmos. God fills the earth with life. God calls it all good. This God we meet in the opening pages of the Bible is a relational God. God craves relationships. I would even say God needs relationships. God is looking for other beings to share God's love with and to partner with God in caring for the cosmos. So God makes human beings. God creates us in God's image as relational creatures. And God invites us to be God's partners in caring for the earth. And God calls it all good. That's page one of the Bible. <laughs> Act two, we uh, Christians often call the fall. Creation rebels, or more specifically, we rebel. Human beings rebel against our creator. We break relationship, try to empower and enrich ourselves. The Bible tells a number of stories that capture this idea. You've got Adam and Eve eating from the one tree they were told not to eat from. Uh, you've got Cain who in a jealous fit of rage murders his brother Abel. There's the Tower of Babel, which is a story about how the first human empire used slave labor to build a monument to itself. All these stories pointing to the exact same thing, and it's our propensity for violence, selfishness, greed, the way we tend to break relationships, how we will exploit anyone to get what we want, other human beings, the earth, even God, if it benefits us. And that brings us to Act 3. There's five acts, by the way, so we're making, we're making good progress. Act 3 is Israel. <clears throat> God launches a plan to rescue creation. God chooses the family of a guy named Abraham. He tells them that he's going to bless his descendants, turn them into a nation, and then through Abraham's descendants, God is going to bring blessings to the whole world. God's going to bring a Savior who's going to rescue the earth. The Old Testament is the story of that family, the Israelites. All the stuff we read about in the Old Testament, the kings, the prophets, the heroes, it's one big unfolding story of a family God is working with to try to rescue creation. Of course, that family also rebels because they're human. They're just as messed up and selfish 
as all the rest of us. And so God enters the story through this family. In Act 4, God enters the family of Abraham in the person of Jesus. God becomes a human being. God takes on flesh, as it said in the Gospel of John. Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life. He attracts a following. He teaches people to love their enemies and to heal broken relationships, start to reverse the fall. He welcomes outsiders, heals diseases, casts out demons, calms stormy seas. The powers that be see Jesus as a threat because this kingdom of peace he represents is a challenge to their kingdoms of power. So they kill him. They crucify him. God in human form becomes the victim of our human violence. Jesus takes all of our selfishness, our wrath, our envy, our sin. He takes it onto himself, and then he takes it down to the grave with him, and he buries it there. He leaves it there. This is how Peter puts it in our reading for today. Fellow Israelites, listen to what I say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for him to be held in death's power. Jesus defeats sin and death when he rises on the third day. The tomb is found empty. He tells his disciples to go out and spread the good news, and he gives them the Holy Spirit, those little tongues of fire, to empower them for that work. Are we still with this? We good? Okay. It's a lot. That brings us to Act 5, <clears throat> the church. By the way, the act we still live in, just so we're keeping up, this is our act. Jesus' followers go out from Jerusalem. They start spreading the good news to all the world. The story of God and God's people is no longer a story about one family. Everyone is invited into the story. Everyone is now a part of God's family. This good news is for the whole world. It becomes a story for all people, a story that we still live in. How is that for a summary of the entire Bible? Got through it. Good. You can clap. It's fine. All that to say, reading the Bible might not be about finding the right answers. Way more important is finding ourselves in the right story when we approach the Bible. The Bible gives us a narrative that can reshape our lives if we let it. And there are some very practical ways we can do that. So let's talk about that. Let's end on some of these practical ways to approach the Bible. Um, if you want to read the Bible like you're part of the story, the first step is to know the story. Like, that's really helpful. Um, memorize those five acts. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church. I think that to myself sometimes when I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, where the heck am I? It's super helpful to have that framework. Just knowing that structure and like where you're at when you read part of the Bible makes the Bible so much more accessible. Uh, maybe you find yourself in the Old Testament and you're like, what is with all this violence? What is all this terrible violence doing in my Bible? 
Well, is it a false story? Is it showing us the terror and the horror of human violence? Is it part of Israel's story and showing us the struggle of God's people actually trying to be faithful with God? Just having that framework makes it easier to locate yourself. Uh, Maybe you're in the New Testament reading about the church, conflict between the disciples, Paul reaming out some church somewhere about how they're not doing things right. That sounds like a lot of churches I know. That sounds like our time. This Jesus thing is tricky. Just being able to locate yourself in that narrative makes the Bible infinitely more accessible. That's one thing we can do is know the story. Um, More importantly, though, is to actually read the story. Read the Bible, you guys. I'm not going to take a poll and ask who here actually reads the Bible. It would be too depressing. Um, But read the Bible. You don't have to tackle the entire thing. That's the good news. It's not a race. Pick one book from the Bible and start reading. Get absorbed in the plot. Get absorbed in the lives of the characters. Read the Bible like you would read any other story. Get into it. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, and this is something I recommend uh, for anyone who follows Jesus, I would recommend starting with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books about Jesus in our Bibles. They're right in a row. Go to the table of contents. Can't miss it. Um, And I know I've said this in at least a dozen sermons. I feel like this is like a monthly thing. Read the Gospels, read the Gospels, read the Gospels. But it bears repeating. As followers of Jesus, we should be reading the Gospels. Put a Bible next to your bed in a translation you find somewhat readable. Stick a bookmark at the Gospel of Matthew, and then either at night before bed or in the morning when you wake up, just read a little bit of the Gospels, a couple sentences, a page, a chapter. Again, it's not a race. Just put yourself in the story. After you knock out Matthew, read Mark, then read Luke, then read John. It could take you a few months to go through it all. It could take you 10 years. Doesn't matter. Get in the story. Another approach while we're reading the Bible is to meditate over it. Pray over it. When you hit a section that you don't understand, go back and reread it a bit slower. Then sit with a cup of tea and think on it. Go for a walk that's meditating on Scripture. Take your confusion in the story to God. If we meditate on this, things are going to open up. We're going to see stuff we missed before. God is going to do stuff in us as we read this story. Use your imagination when you read the Bible. Read the Bible imaginatively. I like to imagine myself as a character in the story. Don't always imagine yourself as Jesus, though. That's something to talk to a therapist about. Um, But, like, when you read the crucifixion account, imagine you're one of the women at the foot of the cross. What do you see? What do you hear? What does Jesus look like? What is he saying to you? Put yourself in the story. Imagine you're one of the male disciples hiding in a room somewhere. What are you thinking? What are you praying about? What are you feeling? If you're the thief on the cross or the soldier next to it, go in those different characters and meditate on that. Put yourself in the story. These are all different ways to imagine ourselves in the story, to ground ourselves in this story until we start to see it as our story.
Because I guarantee the more you do this, the more you read it, the more you meditate on these stories, you are going to start to see your life as a part of God's story. These centuries-old words are going to start to reframe your life. You're going to be challenged to love your neighbors, to heal broken relationships, to turn away from violence, and to see all the challenges of the world around us a lot differently. I talk about immigrants and refugees a lot in here. That's because most of the characters in our Bibles are immigrants and refugees. Um, Our heroes in the faith, whether it's Moses, David, Abraham, Ruth, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, at some point in the story, they are refugees. How can we ignore the refugees in our own midst? How can we mistreat them if we're part of this story? I talk a lot about criminal justice reform. It's because I follow a savior who was failed by the criminal justice system. Jesus was publicly executed. There was just a public execution days ago in the news. That should move us if we're part of this story. Especially because Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Remember the beats of this story. Creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church. Put a Bible by your bed and start reading. Pick a book. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Imagine yourself in the story. If you open your heart and your imagination to being formed by the Bible, God is going to honor that, and it can absolutely change your life, just like it did for Peter and the first disciples. Let's pray. God, help us to read and engage with Scripture the way Peter did, the way these first Christians did. Not as an answer book that helps us win an argument or a historical text to be analyzed and dissected, but God, help us to see ourselves in this story. Help us to root ourselves in it until we become part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite all who are able to please stand for our closing hymn, We've a Story to Tell the Nations, number 733.
May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen.